Let me draw your attention this morning to 1 Kings chapter 18, and I want to lift up primarily verse 43. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43. As we do in honor of the reading of God's word, let us stand when you have found it, that we might both hear and read the word of the Lord together. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 43. When you have found it, say amen. amen. If you're still looking for it, tell me, hold up. Okay, I'm holding up for you. I'm holding up for you. All right. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43. And Elijah said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing there. And he said to him again, go back seven times. Amen. You may be seated. Some weeks, perhaps even a month or more ago, when we were introduced to this Tishbite prophet named Elijah, we originally began by saying that his assignment is marred by diverse conditions to which, as a prophet, he is to settle within and to operate. He was chosen to challenge the politics of his context, which would have meant confronting Ahab the king, who was recognized in the scripture as being one who did evil in the sight of the Lord. His second challenge was to operate within the profession to which he's called, which is to be a prophet. Being a prophet was not an easy job because that meant he had to say what people did not want to hear and he had to confront political power in which was a dangerous business. Third problem he had was that he had to experience in his assignment diverse pressures. His first pressure was to pronounce over Israel that it would not rain for the next three years. Then he had to experience the pressure of being pursued by Ahab by way of death. Then he had to handle the pressure as we get to this 1 Kings chapter 18 of finally meeting Ahab face to face again and to challenge him in this space called Mount Carmel. He meets him there at the top of the mountain and he challenges him with his 450 prophets to suggest that let's settle the case of who is indeed God. You say that Baal is your God and he controls the rain. I say that Jehovah Yahweh is my God and that he controls the rain. They meet at Mount Carmel and Elijah is convinced that God is on his side so he lets the prophets of Baal go first in preparing an altar 
and placing a sacrifice there, but saying unto them, neither of us in our preparation of the altar will put fire under the altar. We will not put fire because our prayer life will determine that the God who is God will answer by fire. When the prophets of Baal began to cry out to their God, nothing happened. Elijah stands and begins to taunt them about the absence of their God. Then Elijah decides that enough is enough. The prophets of Baal are overwhelmingly frustrated that they get no answer from their God. And Elijah makes it clear that now is the time for me to show that my God not only sent me on this assignment, but that God will confirm that I am indeed his prophet and that my word speaks life. Long story short, Elijah prays and calls down God and God answers by fire. Elijah is confirmed that God is God and even Ahab is now convinced that his belief was in the wrong God. Fast forward, I won't tell you about it really now, but if you fast forward a chapter or two later, you'll discover that Ahab actually comes to a space of repentance just before he dies. But at least he come to realize that the God he once was serving and he turned an entire nation of Israel to serve was not the true God at all. We're here in chapter 18 in the closing verses because now the scene is shifting. Elijah has been victorious at Mount Carmel. He knows that he is indeed victorious to the point where you would think that Elijah now would be standing at Mount Carmel with great celebration. But instead of celebrating on what God has done for him, Elijah also knows that there is much work yet to be done. Elijah realizes that now I have preached to two groups of people on this mountain. The first group is to Israel to remind them that you ought to be celebrating that God who could have destroyed you from turning your back on God gave you a second chance. It's a reminder to us that every morning that we arise to the newness of a day, we should look unto the hills from whence come our help and cry out, Father, I thank you for another day's journey. We should embrace Jeremiah's idea in his writing of the Lamentations, morning by morning, new mercies I see. In the words of the psalmist, all that I needed, thy hands have provided for me. Great is your faithfulness. We ought to really, 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 really be shouting right now when we rewind in our minds what could have been was not and what should have been was not. We should be really celebrating that all that we have done, if we looked at the record and weighted against the penalty to which we should have suffered, we know that we probably should not be here this day because God could have very well judged us, but this is the day that the Lord has made and we ought to be rejoicing 
and be glad in it. I was listening to us as we were had someone here telling us about we want to celebrate how this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but it's just Cancer Awareness Month, period. And I watched our reaction and I said to myself, we react like this because we've never been a cancer patient. But I just think that if you had to walk down that lane of cancer in your body and you would want someone to be sympathetic to your situation, and as a result of that, when someone mentions about being grateful that they survived a journey of cancer you'd be on your feet thanking God that I'm just glad that God for whatever reason you didn't see fit for me to walk that path I thank you that I'm whole today and you haven't allowed that to come to my life but we ought to be to a space where we can stand and say you know what Lord even though it didn't happen to me I'm standing to celebrate my brother and my sister who survived this journey they could have lost their life in this journey but yet you bless them and let their moments roll on a little while longer you know you're blessed when you can stand and celebrate for somebody else when you can thank God for somebody else's blessing when you can praise God for somebody else's breakthrough when you can look at God and say thank you Lord for opening up the door for them and for making a way out of no way for them you know you favored when you can stand high and and run around the room and shout and give glory for someone else's opportunity how God opened up and Elijah says to Israel you ought to be grateful that you were not the ones who were destroyed at Mount Carmel but that God gave you another chance and then Elijah said I got to preach to another group I had to preach to Ahab and those who were following Ahab Ahab come to realize that Elijah indeed had a ministry with God that could not be surpassed. He come to understand that Elijah had connection with God. He, fear, he realized that Elijah knew how to get a prayer through. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't know somebody, find you somebody that you know can get a prayer through. You're going to need somebody who can pray and call on God and God gives them an answer even when you may not be getting one I need a prayer partner who knows how to get a breakthrough and can help me get through the journey and Ahab found out that Elijah was that kind of man so Elijah shifts the scene Elijah begins to move and he says a very interesting way he goes says the text verse 40 he tells Israel to make sure you slay all the false prophets because whatever the enemy is in your life you need to get it out and when you get it out destroy it don't allow it to come back in your context again and then in verse 41 the text says that he reminds Ahab that it's time now to get yourself prepared for celebration. He tells him to get up and to eat and to drink and get ready for what's going to be a fulfillment of God's promise in verse 1 of chapter 18, says, Ahab, uh, says Elijah, because I hear, I hear the roar and I sense the storm is on the way. 
Remember, it hasn't been raining in Israel for the last three years, and Ahab knows that although he was blaming Elijah for the problem, he come to realize it really wasn't a problem. It was God's way of bringing Ahab to the point of recognizing, you may think that you can go away from me and get away with it, but I have a way of drawing you back to me by way of my own judgment. And Ahab now knows that as uh, Elijah has made clear at Mount Carmel how God answers prayer. Elijah tells Ahab, get ready because God is about to do something great once again. And amazingly, Ahab follows the direction of Elijah again. Now remember, it is Ahab who is blaming Elijah for all of his problems, and yet here's a second time when Elijah gives him direction. The first time Elijah told him, meet me, at Mount Carmel and he actually did show up at Mount Carmel now the second time Elijah says get ready to go and celebrate because the rain is coming and you're going to realize that God is going to solve your situation and Elijah then moves to an interesting person his servant but watch the text. In verse 41, he tells him to get ready. But then in verse 42, Elijah goes back up to the top of Mount Carmel. Then now there's, there's one or two things that has happened here. Either Elijah has left Mount Carmel and come down to the bottom and now tells his servant to go back up or Elijah is already at the top or is going back to the top and tells his servant, I need you to go a little higher than where we are. Now, both of them have implications because the first one will eventually evolve itself in the process of the servant going back and forth, but the second may be interesting. It may be where Elijah says, we are already at Mount Carmel, but servant, I need for you to go a little higher, which means sometimes you have to take your worship you have to take your prayer life. You have to take your Bible study. You have to take your spirituality to another level to see what God has in store. Watch what the servant says. As Elijah tells him to go back up and look, look at your Bible, does it not tell you that his servant goes up and begins to look around and he comes back and says to Elijah, there is nothing I don't see anything nothing is in the sky and Elijah invites us as readers in the text this morning to consider this subject what do you do when you see nothing well you are in the middle of a crisis and you have been looking for hope and deliverance you've been looking for some manner in which you can grasp a hold to but you see nothing nothing and Elijah introduces us to a strategy to respond to what happens when you get to a context and there's nothing you can see in your situation Watch every strategy I give you is going to begin with the alphabet P. Listen to me closely now. It's going to begin with the alphabet 
P. First strategy Elijah says is that when you go up and you see nothing in the cloud of your life, no horizon of hope at all, don't panic, but pray. Don't panic, but pray. Because panic will cause you to make an unreasonable decision. It will cause you to move yourself away from connecting with God. It will cause fear to rise up in you. And panic will cause you to believe that God does not have your best interests at hand. But Elijah says, whatever you do, pray. Watch what the text says. It says in verse 42 that Elijah, when he goes back up to Mount Carmel, he crouches himself down to the level of the earth and he plants his face between his knees. In other words, Elijah first humbles himself. He recognized that if you're going to get anything from God, humility might be a good place to start. He realizes that if I humble myself before God, the Bible is true. If you humble yourself in due season, God will exalt you. He'll bring you back up. And Elijah says, this moment calls for me to exercise humility and to pray. When he puts his face between his knees, it's a symbolic gesture that Elijah realizes that I need to concentrate on talking with God because I'm praying that my servant will eventually see that there's something out there but you got to pray first that God can begin to work in your circumstance and Elijah says sometimes when you pray and when you get off your knees you still won't see anything then Elijah says, when that happens, once again, don't panic, but shift to the next strategic mood, which is to be patient. Watch what he says in verse 43. When Elijah's servant comes back and tells him that I don't see anything, Elijah says, go back. But in going back, Elijah is telling us through the text be patient. Be patient because not all prayers are answered overnight. Be patient because not all prayers are answered in the next week. Be patient because not all prayers are answered within the month. Be patient because not all prayers are answered within the year. Because when God is working all things together for your good, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes and how God is making a way out of no way for you. So God says through Elijah, when you talk about praying unto me, wait, be patient because I'm working all things. And, and there's record in the word of God for that. There, there's historical record. In fact, if you think about it, in the book of Genesis, it took 40 days for the water to recede from Mount Ararat whenever the ark settled on top of the mountain. 40 days. Now, they've been locked in this thing, this, this ark, for 40 days, and now they've got to rest another 40 days for that water to recede. I want God to open it up right now, make a way right now, answer my prayer right now, and God is saying, it's not going to happen right now. Be patient. It took 
seven days, Israel had to walk around the wall of Jericho every day for seven days. And then on the seventh day, walk around seven times and they had to walk through the week in silence. And then on the seventh day, when they completed the seventh round, they were permitted to shout. Not until that happened did the walls come tumbling down. Patience. Because you know those who were walking around the wall were not completely silent. Someone had a grumble. Why is it taking us seven days? Why does God want us to go through all of this drama? If he's a sovereign Lord with all power, fix it right now. And in the stillness of God's voice, through Joshua, be patient. God is not through. He's working all things. It, it took almost three years for God to bring Joseph out of a prison in Egypt in which he had done nothing to violate and to be incarcerated. And yet, through the midst of that, God was speaking silently to Joseph, be patient, be patient. And it took three and a half, three years, plus 30 other years, for his son to go to a cross called Calvary. Because God is working all things together for a good. Don't panic, but pray. Be patient. Watch Elijah. But also, when you're being patient, engage perseverance. Look what he tells his servant. Go back. And the Bible says he went back seven times. Now, can you imagine that either the servant is coming back down to the bottom of the hill and turning around and going back up, seeing nothing, turning around and coming back down, telling Elijah, and Elijah says, go back, turning around and going back up, seeing nothing. Six times, Elijah instructs him to go back, and six times, he sees nothing. Doesn't that sound like us when we are praying that God would do something and repeatedly God sends us back in the same direction over and over again. Here's another P. And it's because God, in doing what God does, has a process. You're going to have to travel through God's process to get to where you need to be because in the persevering, God is strengthening and the servant is growing. That's the reason why he keeps going back after time, after time. And you and I keep showing up in worship Sunday after Sunday, even after we've been praying about something for the last year, but we've come to realize I got to have perseverance in order to remember that God is working something out and I got to hang on to whatever God gives me. And if it's not much, it's that not much that keeps me going week in and week in. I don't know about you 
but that's a shouting point right there for me because if all I have is one verse to hold on I'm holding on to that one verse until a change comes in my life and God's trying to tell somebody this morning go through the process engage in perseverance be patient and don't stop praying and watch me work this thing together because if you hang out and do that here comes another P God will help us in that persevering process because he's helping us to undergo the importance of seeing it through sometimes we want to quit because the situation is so dark and is so frustrating that we want to give up. We want to throw in the towel. And Elijah says, go back and go back again and again. Persevere because when you're willing to exercise perseverance, here's another P, God will position you to give birth in due season. So it's almost like the woman who's about to give birth, but the child has to turn around in the birth canal so that the child can be in position to come out. And she, know, she knows that something is on the way because she goes through what's called labor pain. Y'all should be shouting right there. At least the sisters should help a brother out. The labor, it's hard, it's difficult, but there's the hope. Something is going to happen. It's on the way. What I've been carrying for the last nine months is about to come out. It's about to make its grand entrance. And that child is saying, I've been here long enough. And now I'm about to move. But first, I got a position. And some of us are out of position. That's why God won't bring us through victory because we are out of position. But when you persevere, there is something about getting in position that lets me know I'm coming out, I'm coming through, and I'm coming up. That's shouting point right there. Y'all should have shouted right there. I'm coming out because I know that if I wait on God, something's going to happen where the door will be open and I'll finally be able to walk through it like I need to. I'm coming up because weeping might endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning and I'm coming through because I know that God is making a way out of no way and if I hold on and hold out and persevere and get in position something has to happen in my journey but I don't see no rain there's no cloud there preacher there's nothing there I don't see anything go back and look again I don't see anything but says the text look at it in verse 44 that it came about on the seventh time that the servant went up and he saw something. Because when you persevere and when you position yourself, here comes another P, God opens up possibilities with the miraculous. He opens up possibilities with the miraculous. Watch the miracle in this possibility he goes back the seventh time when he goes back the seventh time says the text he says behold a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up out of the sea now watch this 
it's miraculous because how can you see a man's hand? It's symbolic, it's metaphorical, but how do you see the symbol of a man's hand and you're on top of the mountain at sea level? You're not getting it, you missed it. Let me try it for you one more time. How do you see a cloud in the image of a man's hand, you on top of the mountain at sea level? Here comes another P. Maybe he didn't see it as you and I think he saw it. Maybe God was engaging him to picture the cloud coming up. It's called imagination. It's called imagery. It's called visualization. Maybe the servant realized what I see is so small, but at least I see something that looks like hope coming up out of the sea. Y'all miss it, that's your shouting point. Because sometimes you don't get to see the grandeur of things because you haven't yet learned to appreciate the small thing that God lets you see in the process. I thought y'all was going to shout on that because you come to recognize I need to praise God for the little stuff. I can't celebrate the hundred until I appreciate the dollar. I can't celebrate the big thing until I appreciate the small thing. And God says through this servant, can you see the smallness when you can't see nothing? Picture. See what you don't see in the midst of that. And if you've ever had to survive in that cancer run, you had to see yourself coming out of the chemotherapy, coming out of the radiation, coming out of all of the treatment. You had to see yourself getting beyond all of those conditions and believing that the best is yet to come and believing that today might be a dark day, but tomorrow... His conversation was, I don't see anything. Looked how God shifted it. Now I see something. It's small, but it's a change. It's something different. Why? Here's another P. Because God is going to honor his promise. Chapter 18, verse 1, remember when God tells Elijah that I want you to go and show yourself to Ahab, and then he tells him, for I will send the rain on the earth. And he's fulfilling his promise. He's sending rain. How do we know that? Look at the text. For verse 44, clause B says, Eli, uh, Ahab, Elijah says to his servant, tell Ahab, get your chariot together and go down so that the heavy rains will not stop you. Elijah, here's another P, here's another P, is telling Ahab, when you don't see nothing, prophesy. Look at your condition and don't permit what you see to have the last word. Prophesy by utilizing Psalm 118 verse 17. 
and you look at it and you say, I will not die, but I will live to tell of the works of the Lord. One translation said, I refuse to let this beat me, but I'm going to live so I can testify of how good God has been one more time. When you don't see it, prophesy. I know I don't see it right now, but the rain is coming. And Elijah said, get ready Ahab, get in your chariot, go to Jezreel because the rain is coming. And I don't want you to get stopped by the rain because the downpour is going to be so strong that I want you to be able to make it and then be able to come back and look back and see how the Lord brought you over many dangers, toils, and snares and how he brought you through some dangerous journeys in life there ought to be some witnesses in here today who can testify that when they look back they saw the rain and at the moment they couldn't see it coming but as they look back now they can see the storm clouds were gathering and God opened up the windows of heaven all right I'm about done now because y'all ain't working with me so here's my last point here's my last P when Elijah says, prophesize, watch what God does. He not only prophesied, but the prophecy came to pass. Look, if you will, at verse 45. So in about a little while, says the text. Now, let's semantically examine that because if it means in a little while, that means, once again, time. And in the process of time, God is doing two things, stretching the patience and the perseverance of the servant, but also stretching the soon-to-be faith of Ahab. In a little while, God is going to do what God promised to do in your context, but in the meantime, he's stretching you, and he's stretching you so you can see how God is working to increase your visualization of what you don't see by A, picturing victory in your life. We call it in contemporary language, attitude. How you see yourself, how you see the condition. If you see yourself in a downtrodden space or do you see yourself victorious in coming out and no matter how the cloud is I see the sun peeping through the cloud because the storm is almost gone he's increasing stretching my picture visualization and stretching my intentionality of prophesying over what I see because I refuse to let what I see get the best of me and defeat me so I'm using the words in my mouth says Jesus which compose of both life and death and I'm speaking life or what appears to be death in my situation he's stretching me to increase my perseverance because I have to come to learn and understand everything ain't gonna happen overnight so I gotta learn how to hang out and hang on to God until my change come. He's stretching my patience to help me realize that God's got it all under control and I gotta trust in the Lord when I can't trace what God is doing and he's stretching me to remember that no matter what I do I can't panic in this thing. I've got to go to God in 
in prayer and let prayer be my motivating factor every single day. When my possibilities come to play because I've positioned myself, look how God rewards Elijah. The storm is there. The cloud is hanging over. Look at the text. And the text says, the sky grew black with clouds and winds and there was a heavy rain shower. And Ahab made his journey to Jezreel. But that ain't the shouting point. The next verse, verse 46 says, and the Lord with his hand was on Elijah and Elijah tucked up his garment and outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now it's miraculous because under normal circumstances he can't outrun a horse and chariot. And yet God, because Elijah was faithful in prayer, because Elijah was patient, Elijah persevered, Elijah knew that God had a process and out of that process comes possibilities and those possibilities grow because Elijah had picturesque ideas in teaching his servant how to watch and see what you can't see. God rewarded Elijah with incredible power, there's my, my final P, to be able to outrun the chariot on his way to Jezreel because God is saying when I bless you can't nobody stop you from running around that place and for rejoicing when you recognize if it had not been for God on my side who made what appears to be impossible possible which is the reason why I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me so Elijah says, and I'm done, when you don't see nothing in your situation, employ the strategy, walk through the peas, and watch how God gets you through. Here it is, before you know it, you'll be coming out when you look back and thought you'd never get out. You'd be coming through and here's the shining point, and you'd come through far more quicker than what you ever thought. You thought you'd be in that place for a long time, and here you are on the other side of through because God has opened up the windows of heaven and given you unusual power to get beyond. So much so that they have no idea, friends, family, co-workers, what you've been going through. Because God, in his own providential way, takes his hand and paints your face where can't nobody see your challenges or your pressures. And when they look at you, they say, when I, I can't believe you've been through all of that. And you can smile back. I know, because greater is he that is on the inside of me than he that's in the world. 
I know I should have lost my mind. I should have had a nervous breakdown. I should have entered due depression. I should have fell out. But the God that I serve just wouldn't let me do that. I, I just refused to give up. Because I decided I'm not going to die, but I'm going to live so that I can testify about the goodness of the Lord one more time. Come on, let's give God some praise in this house. God's been so good to us. Let's stand and let's give God glory and testify. Father, I thank you for all of your goodness and for all of your faithfulness and for all of your provision. Come on, give him some praise. Give him some glory. Give him some honor. Give him some thanksgiving. The keeper of life, the provision of life, we give minimal appreciation to. We will attend a concert and just go crazy, lose our minds. Go to a sports event and jump all up and down, popcorn going all over the place. We would just give all kind of celebration. Neither of which gave you a job was with you in surgery, opened the door for you, connected you with people that you would need. Neither did any of that. And the very God who made it possible for us, we entered into this space, we dismissed the language of the psalmist, enter into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. So let me pose a question. You mean to tell me you got to have somebody to help you praise God? Because that's what we have deduced worship to. Somebody got to help me. I need a praise team to prompt me. To help me introduce myself to praise. Really? Is that what you need? Then maybe you might need to stop your mind for a moment and rewind. Because that's the proper to me. If I just rewind and start thinking about how God's good had God's been for the last 24 hours, that ought to be enough to make this place roar with thanksgiving. How do we limp into worship? With a silent voice. How do, how do we do that? One reason why you don't see anything because you have no expectation. Maybe God is telling us through Elijah as he looks at this servant to look for the cloud. What do you see? Nothing. Why don't you see something? Why don't you see what you don't see? I don't see it yet. I know you don't. But can you visualize can you use your imagination? Can you dream? We made that such a bad word in church, dream. Everything is a dream. Pretty much everything we got in this world was somebody's dream. This microphone was a dream. This podium was a dream. This structure was a dream. The clothes we have was someone's vision, someone's dream. Why can't we dream in church about life? 
about it being better than what it is. So what you got problems? Everybody got problems. That's a part of life. But can you dream beyond that? And see, can you see the cloud? No more than a man's hand in the storm. Because the cloud represented hope. You got any hope this afternoon? Do you really have any hope? Do you really have any anticipation of God? I don't know, y'all haven't convinced me. I mean, I'm not much to convince, but I kind of wonder. When we mentioned that this, and this, this, this approach quick, this approach quick, I didn't realize we were, on, we were on revival and Zion Day so quick. I looked up and here it is, it's here. But when we were listening to Sister Christine tell us that Friday is revival night and Sunday is Zion Day, you couldn't see it because you're looking up here. But I could see it because I'm looking out there. You know what your response was? And? And? Is that what that is to us? Just another event? Another ritual? Revival is about restoration. It's about rebuild, rebuilding. Elijah at Mount Carmel rebuilt that altar. Remember I told you about that last week? He rebuilt an altar that was torn down by the false gods. Maybe the altars in your life has been torn down by other stuff. And at revival, God wants to rebuild it so you'll have fire. Zion Day is a testimony day. That's all it is. It's a birthday for the church that every year for the last 127 years we've been favored. Do you not realize all across this country there are churches who are folding, who are locking the doors, selling the property, joining with other churches because there is no more presence in the fellowship. Somehow it's lost purpose and it can't reach the people so it has to fold up and here we are at 128 years and all we can do is just say and So as God ignited and did something through Elijah to convince Ahab you on the wrong track bruh I'm praying that God would say something to us Friday and Sunday. Bring your family members, bring your friends, bring them bad folk that you know ain't been to church in 30 years. Come on, man, you need, you need to come, come to church this one time and prophesy. I bet you it'll change your life. Because your job is not to change them, but to throw a seed. And when you throw the seed, you're not responsible for the kind of soil that it'll fall in. God will handle that. You just throw the seed. And in due season, God will do what God does. Come on, I want every high, every head bowed, every eye closed, every heart lifted, every mind thinking about visualizing victory. Visualizing 
I see the cloud. I see something now rising up from the sea the size of a man's hand. I call it hope. I call it faith. I call it trust. I call it breakthrough. Name it whatever you want to name it. But see it arising in your life right now. Father, in Jesus' name, change perceptions in this building. Change perceptions, God, that they will no longer see it in a dark, empty, purposeless way, but they'll see it victoriously. And help them believe that something is about to change, something about to happen, something's about to explode, something magnificent is about to come down the pike for their life. And they'll never be the same. They can outrun what appears to be natural in the supernatural. Because they'll realize it couldn't have not been anybody but you. Save that soul, Lord, that calls on your name today. Salvation is our greatest gift. And so, Lord, somebody that needs you today, needs your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Make this day the beginning of a new day for them. We'll give you the glory. Help us, Lord, as a church family, open our eyes to see the great possibilities that you have in store for us. If we can only believe in the name of Jesus, we pray. I open the doors of the church. If there's somebody in this place today, you might want to come by letter, by baptism, by Christian experience. I don't know how your experience is, but this is a moment in which maybe the Lord is speaking to you.